Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. Please remember to subscribe and download this podcast and leave it a five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes. If you want to look at any of the work I have done, both on the podcast and writing front, please go to chrisrawl.com. On today's episode, the myriad of ways to lose an NFL playoff game. The most memorable and tight divisional round weekend of my entire life just wrapped up. Um, Every game featured incredible twists and turns and unbelievable plays and unbelievable gaffes. And for four of the teams, mine included the Green Bay Packers, a soul-crushing ending. It was a stark reminder on a personal level and on a football level as a fan of just watching the sport, uh, even in games that don't involve my team. It's a reminder that this stuff a lot of times really doesn't make sense, and very rarely is it fair in the sense that the logical human mind wants it to be. Uh, I think a lot about just playoffs and playoff losses in general. I don't know if that's just me and how my brain works or if that extends out amongst all fans, but as the Packers were getting into their game against the Niners and I started recognizing familiar and unfamiliar signs and just felt that tightening sense of dread that really crops up in the playoffs, I just kind of started thinking to myself and really after the game was done about the incredible amount of ways that you can lose a playoff game and how many of those I feel like I personally have lived. And yet, I haven't even come close to seeing everything that there is to offer, as evidenced by this weekend, again with the Packers and also with some of these other games that I'm going to talk about. So stuff's going down all weekend long, whether it was Titans-Bengals, whether it was Niners-Packers, Rams-Bucks, or that incredible, one of the best playoff games you'll ever see between the Chiefs and the Bills. And it was just... All of these things, craziness, Uh, unfairness, depending on who you were rooting for and who you thought was the better team. And it sparks my mind with just plays from Green Bay's past. And I'm thinking back after they've lost, I'm going, that reminds me of back in the 2003 season. And the Packers had a fourth and 26 on defense against the Philadelphia Eagles. All they had to do was stop the Philadelphia Eagles from getting a fourth and 26 with just over a minute to go. If they stop them, the game is over. And Don McNabb completes a pass to Freddie Mitchell. Just barely past the chains. They end up kicking a field to force overtime, winning overtime. It's a crazy game in and of itself. But because I'm 35 and because I've lived through this long span of life as a Packers fan, it's kind of remarkable to look back on a lot of these losses and just think about the ways that they have occurred, the margins that I'm always referring to. You could fast forward a couple years and I think back to the NFC title game loss in Brett Favre's last year there in the 2007 season. Just a crazy back-and-forth, freezing-cold affair with the Giants. And Favre throws an interception in overtime, and Lawrence Tynes kicks a field goal to lose. Another overtime loss uh, that you just go home feeling sick to your stomach and thinking about the 22 things that if Green Bay just changed one play, they would have won. Which segues into another overtime loss. The first year, or the first playoff year of Aaron Rodgers' career, his second season as starter. Incredible back and forth fair against the Cardinals that they end up losing in overtime. And a handful of years later, another overtime loss to the Cardinals when Aaron Rodgers completes two Hail Marys just to force overtime. And then the Packers lose the coin toss because life is not fair. And Aaron Rodgers is not going to get on the field and Larry Fitzgerald scores to win. It's just 
you go on down the list and you keep thinking you've seen it all. You've seen it all. You've seen all of the margins and the ways that they can affect football games, whether it's Mike McCarthy in the 2014 season, the NFC title game that year on the road against Seattle. They build up a 16-0 lead, and Mike McCarthy's conservative coaching just rears itself at the worst possible time. They kick three field goals on fourth and two or less. And even with all that, they still have a 16-0 lead, and all they got to do is recover an onside kick, and they're going to the Super Bowl, and they can't. And they lose the coin toss going into overtime, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't see the field, and Russell Wilson throws a touchdown pass, and the game is over. And you can see your catastrophic meltdowns, the ones that the margins don't even matter. Uh, I think, you know, a couple defensive meltdowns within the last decade. First one against Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers when they didn't know how to stop a zone read, and San Francisco scored 45 points. Ran for 3 million yards. Another game against the Falcons for the 2016 season. Green Bay makes the NFC title game pretty crazy in and of itself. And then they just get decimated by Kyle Shanahan and Matt Ryan and Devontae Freeman, all those guys. Just as soon as the game began, it was pretty much over because you understood Green Bay's defense couldn't do anything. Happened three years ago in the NFC title game against San Francisco again. When Raheem Mostert ran for 200 and something yards and the Niners themselves ran for almost 300 as a team. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have to throw the ball, and they win. There's just a million ways, a million ways I could keep going. I think back to even margin plays. 2011 season, Green Bay's the 15-1, number one seed in the NFC. They get the Giants that year, and the Giants have an incredible string of events right before the end of the first half. Looks like they're trying to run out the clock, and they actually are, and Ahmad Bradshaw breaks a decent run out to midfield, and they have one play. They go, oh, let's just throw a Hail Mary, and they throw a Hail Mary. For a touchdown, the final play of the first half. That ends up being a huge separator in that game. It feels like, through my own perspective as a fan, I'll sit there and say, if I can dream up a way to lose, I'm kind of at the point where I feel like I've lived it all in the playoffs. With Green Bay and, and through these other teams, because I promise you, if you go to any hardcore NFL fan in your life of one individual team, they will say exactly what I've said about their own team unless they're a New England Patriots fan because they have 500 championships. But everybody else, you go to them, and they will just tell you this over and over, and they go, well, yeah, this this happened in this year, and this happened in this year, and man, it's pretty improbable that this team can continually find ways to lose a playoff game. Seems like we are out of ways to witness a team lose. And yet, we watch this weekend, and still new ways are popping up, both for my team and for others going to go chronologically because it just seems fitting based upon how the weekend went and I feel compelled to end with Chiefs and Bills because <laughs> it was an all-time football game and for reasons that I, I might struggle to verbalize I just kind of felt sick to my stomach at the end but we'll get into that because the weekend started with Titans Bengals and when I'm thinking about the ways that you can lose a playoff game and I'm thinking about the narratives that spring up out of who wins and who loses and I think about how tight these games are. This weekend is just case in point at any of the four games. You can choose any one of them, and it's going to trump at the point that I'm always pounding home two times a week on this show. It's all about the margins. It's all about the margins. And it seems kind of absurd that we will create incredible narratives based off of who wins and who loses. So within Titans Bengals, you have the script for either side. It comes down to a field goal on the final play of the game. Okay, that's the margin that decides this game. First and foremost, right at the end, Evan McPherson, he kicks a 53-yard field goal to win. Cincinnati's moving on. 
But if you're looking at separation within this game, you're looking at the myriad of ways a team can lose. You look at Cincinnati and you go, yeah, you could have very well lost this game. Maybe you should have because you don't know how to block. Your offensive line doesn't possess the capacity to block. The Cincinnati Bengals gave up nine sacks against the Tennessee Titans on Saturday. Nine sacks and won the football game. A truly incredible feat. I haven't dug deep into this because I've been reeling from all sorts of things that have been happening this weekend. (laughs) But I haven't dug deep, but I can't imagine there are very many, if any, instances in the history of this league where a team gave up nine quarterback sacks and lived to tell the tale. And yet that's what we had with the Bengals. We had crazy plays. We had Joe Burrow making some big-time Joe Burrow plays. We had Jamar Chase making some big-time Jamar Chase plays. We understand how they ended up winning. But you also can look at them and understand, well, you changed one thing in this game, and it's easy to understand why you would have lost. And instead, the team on the other side, they're the losers. Tennessee Titans, they're going home. The number one seed, they had the bye week. They rested, they were prepared. And they had the unfortunate reality that their quarterback chose the wrong time to defecate in his pants because Ryan Tannehill was not good at all. He threw a pick on the first play of the game. He threw a pick on his first play of the second half. And he threw a pick on his final attempt of the game, the final offensive play that the Titans had. Tie game, they're around midfield, third down, about a minute to go. He tries to force a ball in there, gets tipped up. Cincinnati picks it. Joe Burrow hits a couple passes, and it leads to the final deciding play of the game. The fact that a kicker made a kick. Sometimes that misses, and you go to overtime, and you get a different result. That's the way that this stuff works. It's not always fair. It doesn't always make sense, but that's the way of the world within the NFL, where these teams are so close from a talent standpoint, from an execution standpoint, that what ends up deciding these games is almost nothing. So it leads us into the Saturday night game. My team, Green Bay Packers, hosting the San Francisco 49ers. This would be a great game that I would point to for all those people that love to trumpet quarterback wins in the playoffs as a sign of Great performance is a sign of leadership or moxie, the ability to make these great plays, and that's what separates these winners from losers. I would encourage everybody to, as just a, a case study to solely watch the snaps that Jimmy Garoppolo dropped back and passed in this game. And don't know anything about the game and just watch those plays. And then that person I would love to go and talk to and say, what do you think happened in this game? And they would say, I'll bet this team lost by five touchdowns because to be fair to Jimmy, he did throw a couple passes in the first half, one especially to George Kittle that could have been for a really big gain. Both were dropped, first by Kittle, the second by Jawan Jennings. However, every pass that he was throwing seemed like it was a helicopter. I mean, we're talking it's spinning sideways through the air, including the interception that he throws right near the end of the first half with San Francisco down seven. They look like they're going to at least be getting three points to go into the half. And he throws not only late, but just a wounded duck probably doesn't do justice to the way that this throw looked. It's picked off by Green Bay, and it sets off an incredible, incredible chain of events. Big play from Rodgers to Aaron Jones on third down that 
looks like, okay, Green Bay, they're going to do some stuff here. And then Rodgers takes a sack. They got to burn their timeout. They got to line up for a field goal. And it segues into truly one of the most astounding season-long narratives that I said to friends and I said on this show, I pray to everything that is holy. It will not rear its head in the worst possible way in the playoffs. Special teams, disasters. And when you're looking at the myriad of ways that a team can lose a playoff game, you could look at San Francisco and, you know, a play goes different here and there. And you say, it's pretty hard to win when you're capable or when your quarterback's not really that capable of doing too much. When he's battling a shoulder injury and a hand injury and he's playing in sub-zero temperatures and he's helicoptering the ball all over the field. It's pretty hard to win like that. It truly is. And somehow that is trumped by the team that actually did lose. Team that had the worst special teams in football the entire regular season. 32 out of 32. They were an abject disaster on kick returns. They were an abject disaster on punt returns both defending and being the aggressor. They couldn't do any of those things. They could not kick field goals consistently. They could not block for field goals consistently. We saw that rear its head many times throughout the season, whether it was Mason Crosby missing a whole grundle of field goals against Cincinnati or whether it was just people on Green Bay forgetting to block, people running through the line and just, again, blocking it and running off with the ball, as we saw early in the season. So this game's tight, and the Packers' offense chooses the wrong time to have their second-worst performance of the season with Rodgers at the helm. After the Saints game week one that amounted to essentially a preseason game that I said, forget about it, we're not going to see something like that again, so let's not worry about it. We saw something close to approximating that because after the Packers' opening drive, they score a touchdown. That's pretty much what we saw. Uh, Just a stunning lack of separation from the wide receivers, Stunning inability of the line to block for running plays. And so the offense amounted to Rodgers dropping back and clutching and double clutching and dumping it off to Aaron Jones for a one-yard gain or just throwing the ball out of bounds. That was the Green Bay Packers offense. And yet, despite that, if you have a normal special teams unit, and by normal, I don't mean good. I literally mean normal. I mean the 16th best special teams. If you just had that, the Green Bay Packers are moving on. They're playing in the NFC title game. Because sometimes you got to win games ugly like this. This is a thing that we love, you know, the big burly football man. You got to find a way to win. And it is true. But it extends to the team. It doesn't extend to a quarterback, which Rodgers will be the one to take all of the flack. And again, Rodgers and the offense did not play up to their standard. Um, They just didn't do anything. At the same time, I've seen a million playoff games over the course of time where the offense doesn't do a whole lot and the rest of the team is there. And they say, all right, we're going to pick up the slack and this is how we're going to advance and we're going to trust that the next round, you're going to be able to score 30. And that's how that kind of stuff works. And Green Bay's defense, they did their part. Defensive line especially, Rashawn Gary especially. Getting great pressure. They defended the run about as well as Green Bay is going to defend the run. That's not great, but it wasn't an abject disaster, which they can do from time to time. And instead, the third phase of the game, the phase that I hate talking about, but I do all the time because it has such an outsized way of affecting football games. That's what decides the Niners and the Packers. 
had watched a lot of Green Bay playoff losses throughout my life. And I always keep thinking, okay, I've seen all the ways to lose. And then Green Bay's up by seven with four minutes and change, and they're punting. And earlier in the game, they already had a Mason Crosby field goal block right at the end of the first half because they didn't feel like blocking. And they'd given up uh, two big kick returns, including the opening kick of the second half from Debo Samuel out to the 50-yard line, which set up San Francisco's first points of the game. They had Corey Bohorquez, their punter, already just biff about three different punts up until this point. And the Green Bay Packers, yet again, forget how to block and choose not to on a special teams play. And San Francisco runs at the middle, and Bohorquez tries to kick it, and he kicks it right into a San Francisco 49er hand. It bounces out to the side, and they run over, and they pick up the ball inside the 10-yard line, and they run it in for a touchdown. And now it is tied at 10-10. There's four minutes to go, and Green Bay's offense, which has not done anything since the first drive of the game, goes in reverse. And the Niners get the ball, and they bring it down. And what does the game come down to? It is the final deciding play in a game that was completely decided by special teams. Fittingly enough, it was decided by special teams on the opposite end because Robbie Gould comes in and has a 45-yard field goal. Sometimes you miss those, and it goes to overtime, and there's a different outcome. That's happened a lot in the history of the NFL. And this time he comes in and he drills it right down the middle. A dude who has not missed a kick in his playoff career. I believe he's now 20 for 20. A stark contrast to what was going on on the other side of the ball. So this is the kind of stuff that decides playoff games. Um, I, I hate that. I hate that my points are always proved about my own team and about my favorite player, because Rodgers is the one who will catch the flack. And again, to be very clear and to be very fair, this was not Rodgers' best game, but it was a game that Rodgers easily could have won if the Green Bay special teams had amounted to a league average unit within the course of this game, which they were not. This is the kind of stuff that you have to have on your side in order to win. You have to. I say it again and again and again. It's been proven again and again and again for me as a Packers fan and for me just watching the NFL. You gotta have this kind of stuff cinched down. The margins. Because if you don't, in playoff games where the talent level and execution level is virtually identical per team, you're going to get bit in the ass. And that's what happened to the Packers on Saturday night. So it segues into Sunday and everybody's going, we can't possibly have another day filled with as much tension as Saturday. And it was filled with more. Again, a, a truly astounding weekend of football. I wish so badly that Green Bay had not lost because I could have enjoyed it to the full extent of what it was. Instead, I was still reeling emotionally and also watching these other games through the lens of the losing team because that's the way that my fan brain works. And I start to sympathize greatly with the losing side when I live it again and again and again. Now, luckily, I thought I was going to have to do that with the Rams, and I thought, I, the Bucks don't need to win again. They won a Super Bowl last year. Tom Brady's won every Super Bowl for all of time. I'm not going to feel bad if this team loses. And it seemed like it was setting up for an incredible all-time botching from the Los Angeles Rams. And I thought, I'm going to see another way to lose a playoff game that I've never seen. Because this team's up by a million points. It's 27 to 3. And the Rams just, they stop playing. They forget how to take care of the ball. Starting in the last 
minute of the first half when it looks like they're going to put the final nail in the coffin. They got the ball inside the five-yard line. They fumble the ball four times. All are recovered by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Starts with Cam Akers trying to go in. Gets it punched out right at the one-yard line. Doesn't seem like it's that big of a play at the time because you're saying, well, the Rams are still up by a bunch. They're getting the ball to start the half. I mean, they're controlling the game. And then Cooper Cup, he gives them life. He gets hit on a crossing route, and he tries to make a juke, and he gets it punched out. Next thing you know, Tampa has the ball. They're getting a little bit closer. And then the Rams are up by 14. And Von Miller, who was just absolutely incredible in this game, comes around the edge, strip sack on Brady, fumble, recovered by the Rams. They got the ball inside the 30. They're up by 14. A field goal at this point probably is going to ice it. And I'm going, okay, well, this is pressing performance here. First play, the first play. Errant snap. Stafford in the shotgun, not paying attention. Gets snapped 30 yards backwards. Tampa Bay recovers. I mean, this stuff's just... You can't script games like this. Again, I know a lot of people have said this over the weekend, and I'll just echo it. This is why this sport is the greatest on planet Earth, by leaps and by bounds. Because these games are insane. And they are compelling. And they have everything that your mind could ever dream up, and then stuff that your mind cannot dream up. Bucks are down 14. Big, long touchdown pass to Mike Evans with... Four minutes to go about, a little less than that. Bucks are out of timeouts at this point, so you're going, okay, you've got to get one first down, essentially. This game's over with. And what happens? Cam Akers again puts the ball on the turf, and Dominican Sue punches it out. With him running for what looks like, at worst, it'll be a third and one. You get that, and it's game over. And it looks like he might have been able to even plow through and get the first down, and instead ball out, Tampa ball on fourth down, I mean, this the line is fine for all of this stuff, you guys. The line is just fine. Uh, it's maddening. If you're on the losing side, you'll always think back to 15 things. Leonard Fournette on fourth down, runs it in, touchdown, tie game. Rams get the ball back. And Stafford, who played just a, an immaculate game under center. Phenomenal. Big pass to Cup, and then just a perfect dime pass. To Cup, screaming downfield. Matt Gay hits a field goal on the final play of the game. What is the deciding margin? A kicker makes a kick. Three consecutive games, and the final margin play is all just a kicker who's able to make a kick. Now, it takes a million things to get in position for that, as all those games have shown us. But that's sometimes what it boils down to. If you make it, you go on. If you miss it, you're going to overtime, and who the hell knows what's going to happen. That is life in the NFL playoffs. And when you're on the wrong side of it, it blows. When you're on the right side of it, it is ecstasy. So that leads us nicely into the night game. Uh, A truly memorable football game in every sense of the word. I haven't yet had a chance to read all the Recaps, and I'm sure there will be a lot of comparing this game to a lot of the very best games in NFL history. And I'll be interested to revisit some of those because off the top of my head, obviously I'm being a creature of the moment, but it's hard to think of a lot of football games that I've ever watched that were more compelling, that were played at a higher level offensively, that featured two quarterbacks 
that were playing so incredibly well that it made me sick to my stomach to think that one of them is going to lose. That was this game. One of the greatest quarterback duels I've ever watched. And especially as the final two minutes of regulation were happening, where I believe 24 points were scored. Back and forth and back and forth. And then into overtime when that coin goes up in the air and I'm going, whoever wins this coin toss will win this football game. I would bet my life on it. I would bet my family's life. I would bet the entire world's life. When that coin was in the air and Josh Allen had called tails, I would have bet literally everything that whoever won that coin toss was going to win the game. And as it's in the air, I'm thinking, oh man, this is just not fair because Josh Allen has played as good as any quarterback could possibly play in this game. And Patrick Mahomes has played as good as any possible quarterback could play. That was the story of this game. That's why it was so freaking fun. But it's also stimulating that part of me that's coming off the Packers loss that thinks about playoff losses and really, really thinks about how narratives arise about individuals based upon playoff losses. And already in advance, I'm going, man, it's not fair whoever loses this game on the quarterback side. But if it's Josh Allen, it's really not fair because he doesn't have a Super Bowl and he's already caught a lot of flack in his short pro career, and the dude is an absolute superstar and has just dragged this Bills team every which way, including in that game. And even before the coin hits the ground, I'm thinking about the possible margin of this game, and I'm thinking about the myriad of ways that a team could lose a playoff game. And I'm thinking back to the final 13 seconds of regulation, and I'm going, I really can't fathom a team playing a stranger pair of snaps on defense than the Buffalo Bills played. Because Josh Allen had just thrown his fourth touchdown pass to Gabe Davis to put him up by three. And there's 13 seconds to go. And Tony Romo on the broadcast is saying exactly what I'm saying at home, which is you do not kick this ball through the end zone. You put it on the ground and you make them burn at least three seconds, but hopefully you get them running around you can get it down to eight seconds and they'll have a play to get into field goal range. And instead, the Bills, this is such a minuscule thing until it bites you in the ass. This is why I always talk about the margins. Because 99 times out of 100 in regular season and playoffs, you never think about this thing ever again. And my mind is fascinated and obsessed with always identifying these moments as they're happening. And Tony Romo, to his credit, is great at doing that as an announcer. And he's saying, I don't think I would kick this through the end zone. And they do. Okay, whatever. The Chiefs have timeouts, but they have 13 seconds from their own 25-yard line to get into field goal range. And Josh Allen has just played one of the best games I've ever watched a quarterback play. And he's sitting on the sideline, and the rest of the game, it is up to what the rest of his team decides to do on whether or not he wins or he loses. And the first play from scrimmage, the Bills are playing way, way, way off, and Kansas City knows this. And they just say, all right, we're taking a chunk. Snap. Pass Tyreek Hill, run for 19 yards, get down, timeout. Took five seconds off the clock. We're down to eight seconds. So now we're up to the 44-yard line. And Tony Romo, to his credit again, he's going, you don't want to be rushing four men on these plays because Kansas City has to get the ball out of their hands so fast. They don't have time to dance around. So it doesn't make sense to have that extra rusher there because you are not going to have time for it to matter. You're not going to be able to get pressure. And instead they do that and they play the strangest coverage I've ever seen on Travis Kelsey. 
on the inside, on the left-hand side. And they give up just a free 30-ish yard completion for reasons that I honestly don't know. Again, I've yet to dive into the post-game stuff with this, so I'll be really interested to read and to hear what Sean McDermott has to say about this particular sequence of events, the kick and the defensive calls on both of those plays. Both of those plays, which were prefaced by Buffalo calling a timeout so they could actually talk over what they were doing and then try and execute it, which they did the exact opposite of. So now it comes down to a kicker. (laughs) Harrison Butker, can you make a 40-some-odd-yard field goal to send the game into overtime, or can you not? The margins. If you miss it, then Patrick Mahomes is going home a loser, and I'm going, man, that sucks because he balled the hell out. And instead, Butker drills it. And we go back to the coin toss. And the coin's falling down, and it hits. And the ref goes, it's heads. And the Kansas City crowd loses their mind because they know what every person on earth knows, myself included, that Josh Allen, you are not getting back into this football game. So the game ends on Mahomes to Travis Kelsey in the corner of the end zone. And again, this was an incredible football game, and I'm excited to watch it when I'm more separated from the emotions that I personally have gone through as a fan this weekend and the way that I'll project those onto other games. But what right now I feel and what I really thought is that game was ending. More than anything, when the pass went in and it cuts to the sidelines, more than anything, what I think when it shows Josh Allen and he's got his helmet on and he's just kind of staring off into oblivion as I think about this show and I think about what I'm always talking about in football. The amount of ways that somebody can find to lose a football game and the lack of control that one person can have on a game. And Josh Allen's face on the sideline, he really summed up my feelings that exist after the playoffs every single year. Every single year. That this stuff is decided by virtually nothing and the vast majority of the time, it's just, it's not fair. It's not fair in the way the logical mind wants it to be. You think that a quarterback should be rewarded because they balled the hell out and that's not always how it works. And you think a quarterback should be punished because they did diddly shit like Jimmy Garoppolo did and that's not how it works. Josh Allen's going home and Jimmy Garoppolo's in the conference title game. That's how a lot of this stuff works. It's just decided by weird ass stuff on the margins. Stuff that can be controlled and stuff that can't. And when you understand this and when you watch it, and when you let the excitement die down from the Bills and the Chiefs and the Rams and the Bucks and the Niners and the Packers and the Titans and the Bengals, you think back to that shot of the sideline. And it makes it really easy to understand that one person can piece together one of the best individual performances in recent memory, like Alan did on Sunday night, and because of all this stuff you can still lose. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Please go to chrisrawl.com for anything that has to do with this show and anything that I've written. You're listening right now. Please remember to subscribe and download and rate and review on Apple iTunes. Please help spread the word. Thank you.